the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello, and welcome back to Truth in My Days radio broadcast. I am Dr. Adrian Torres. Today, I will be discussing with John how we know which books belong in the Bible. We all know that the Bible is not a single book, but a collection of 66 individual works written by a lot of different writers across a long period of time. Uh, yes, anywhere from 40 to 50 authors and across a time period of, of about 1,500 years. And the salient issue is which books are what we call canonical, that is, which ones properly belong in the Bible, uh, which are in the canon, which is the authoritative list of the books that belong in the Bible. I've actually heard there were a lot of other books, too, that didn't make the cut. The Roman Catholics put another 12 books into the Bible, and the Eastern Orthodox also put those 12 and another four that the Roman Catholics did not have in their Bible. Uh, yes, uh, the Roman Catholic Church insists, in fact, that we could not know what was truly in the Bible until the Church pronounced on this issue, establishing the canon somewhere in the late 4th century AD. Besides that, ever since the publication of Dan Brown's the Da Vinci Code in 2003, we keep hearing that there were a whole bunch of other gospel books and such that had very different picture of Jesus. And that the four we have were picked by Roman emperor for political purposes and all the rest, the ones telling the true story of Jesus were destroyed. Yes, the author of that book, Dan Brown, has his character, the supposed expert Lee Teabing, say this, and I quote, more than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament, and yet only a relatively few were chosen. That would be a problem. Well, let's remember that Dan Brown is a writer of fictitious thrillers. But in this book, he has a preface in which he claims that, quote, all depictions of artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals in this novel are accurate, unquote. Now, notice the inclusion of documents in that list. He is purporting that his claims about the canon of the Bible are true. Now, he didn't make up these claims. Liberal scholars have been promoting ideas along these lines for a long time. They want you to believe that there was not a uniform agreement on Jesus' teachings from the beginning. That is, it was not Christianity, but Christianities. Very different and contradictory beliefs about Jesus with the version we believe becoming the official version due to imperial edict. How influential were those ideas? I don't think they were very influential with the general public before the Da Vinci Code came along. A few people had even heard of them. But the Da Vinci Code was a massive bestseller. So suddenly these claims got into the public eye. Liberal scholars then struck while the iron was hot to promote these ideas. Two years after the publication of the Da Vinci Code, evangelical-turned-agnostic Dr. Bart Arman published a book called Lost Christianities, The Battles for Scripture and the Faiths We Never Knew. The Amazon website describes the book this way, and I quote, The early Christian church was a chaos of contending beliefs. Some groups of Christians claimed that there was not one God, but two or 12 or 30. Some believed that the world had not been created by God, 
but by a lesser ignorant deity. Certain sects maintained that Jesus was human, but not divine, while others said he was divine, but not human. And Lost Christianity's Bart D. Arman offers a fascinating look at these early forms of Christianity and shows how they came to be suppressed, reformed, or forgotten. All of these groups insisted that they upheld the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, and they all possessed writings that bore out their claims, books reputedly produced by Jesus' own followers. Modern archaeological work has recovered a number of key texts, and as Armin shows, these spectacular discoveries reveal religious diversity that says much about the ways in which history gets written by the winners, unquote. This would be explosive if it's true. It would mean that our faith is not really what Jesus taught, or at least we couldn't be sure that it was what he taught. In fact, we wouldn't know what, what he taught. How could we? So what do we do with this? As usual, we do not accept the claims at face value. We look at the facts and the evidence. We apply some critical thinking. And when there's one thing that should immediately set off the warning bells. What's that? It's inherently contradictory. If there were so many different followers of Jesus teaching their views, so many followers, then Jesus must have been very influential and popular. Yes. So how come no one knew what his original teachings were? How could we simply have had all these mutually exclusive competing versions from the beginning? If Jesus was so influential, they should have known what his teachings were. It makes no sense to think that all these different versions were there from the beginning. True. That doesn't make sense. No. Uh, here's an alternate scenario. I call it the, the dating Carmen Electra's cousin's friend's sister scenario. Dating Carmen Electra's cousin's friend's sister? Yes. You've got to explain that. It comes from an old Coors Light beer commercial from some years back. Uh, this commercial shows a bunch of guys boasting of their accomplishments, and these are not real accomplishments at all. One says, I have spent a weekend in Vegas without a hotel room. The next guy says, I've given a toast at a wedding that I wasn't even invited to. A third guy boasts, I've eaten condiments as a meal. And then this guy comes on to top them all. He says, I've dated Carmen Electra, who was a popular singer, model, actress of the day. And we're supposed to think, wow, that's so cool. But he continues. It's not I've dated Carmen Electra, but I've dated Carmen Electra's cousin, friends, sister. So he's actually quite a number of degrees away from actually Carmen Electra. But somehow it's still supposed to be cool linking oneself, however tenuously, to someone renowned. So here's the scenario. Jesus ministered among us. He taught. He did miracles. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And he rose from the dead. And the story that was told by his chosen eyewitnesses, the apostles, and those authorized by them, are found in the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, we've already covered in another program that these books are the ones that have the eyewitness testimony in it. Jesus was the real deal, and everyone knew it. So later, as other new religions arose, they tried to gain credibility for themselves by associating themselves with Jesus, 
claiming he actually taught their doctrines. This tactic is called honor by association, and it's been done all along. 600 years later, Islam arose, and Islam has Jesus. He's a prophet of Islam. Uh, Buddhism, you have Buddhists now saying that Jesus was a bodhisattva, uh, one of these ascended people who refrains from entering nirvana to help others. Uh, in Hinduism, we're told he's an avatar, that is an incarnation, an earthly incarnation of a Hindu deity. Uh, more recently, in the 19th century, we had uh, Mormonism arise, and they claim to be uh, restoring the true gospel of Jesus. Uh, the Watchtower has Jesus in it. Sun Myung Moon in the 20th century claims to be fulfilling Jesus' mission. It just doesn't end. Even today, you have the, the Eastern Lightning sect in China claiming that the leader is Jesus incarnated as a Chinese woman, and so on. Why do all these religions try to include Jesus? Why not just create their own new gods? Because Jesus is the real deal. And so they're trying to gain credibility by hitching their wagons to him. And this was happening in the centuries after Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, as the church that was based on its true teachings, as delivered by the apostles, grew and spread, other religions tried to co-opt Jesus to give cachet to their teachings. They were never Christianities at all, even though they claimed to be following Jesus. That does sound more reasonable. And there's something else to point out here. You remember that advertising blurb for Armin's Lost Christianities book? It said, all of these groups insisted that they upheld the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, and they all possessed writings that bore out their claims, books reputedly produced by Jesus' own followers. Now, this makes it sound as if those other books were around as early as the gospel books in the Bible. And this is not even remotely true. The four gospel books in the Bible were used and quoted by early Christian writers immediately, as far back as we can go, uh, which is the first writings after the apostles themselves. The first one is a book that probably dates back to the year AD 70, uh, called First Clement, written by uh, Clement of Rome, an overseer, leader at that church. Now, these other books, the ones other than our four gospel books, did not show up until very much later. And when they did, they were universally denounced by the Christian leaders. So those 80 gospels mentioned in the Da Vinci Code are not credible? No, there weren't 80. Actually, there were only 15. And even this is an exaggeration. Three of them do not even exist. We only know of them because their names are mentioned by Christian writers long after Jesus' time denouncing these books. Another three of them exist only as tiny partial fragments. They're not actual gospels at all. And another four do not tell us about the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, so they're not gospels either. There are two supposed infancy gospels of Jesus, uh, so they're not gospels either. One is about Mary, not Jesus. The other, the so-called infancy gospel of Thomas, is made up of rubbish such as this. And I'm quoting here from the infancy gospel of Thomas. The son of Annas, the scribe, was standing there with Jesus, taking a branch from a willow tree. He dispersed the waters which Jesus had gathered. 
When Jesus saw what had happened, he became angry and said to him, you godless, brainless moron, what did the ponds and waters do to you? Watch this now, you are going to dry up like a tree and you will never produce leaves or roots or fruit. And immediately this child withered up completely. Then Jesus departed and returned to Joseph's house. The parents of the one who had been withered up, however, wailed for their young child as they took his remains away. And here's another excerpt from this infancy gospel of Thomas. Quote, next he was going through the village again and a running child bumped his shoulder Becoming bitter, Jesus said to him, you will not complete your journey. Immediately he fell down and died. Now, does anybody think this is the real Jesus? Does anybody think these could possibly qualify as authentic testimonies from Jesus' followers or that these could be considered Christianities? Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time, same place. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. <laughs>